Well, good morning, Elevate, once again. I hope you guys are uh, worshiping in a, in a beautiful morning this morning. I, I pray that you're giving it all to God, and it's really all about Him. And, and through our, our next study, through the book of Timothy, it's a six-week study, we will see that it really is all about Him, and it's not about us. There has been a lot of heartache within our Christian churches in this area. There's actually been a lot of heartache around the United States in our churches. Many churches have closed in the past three years of COVID. A lot of churches that my friends worked at just didn't have enough funds by the end of last year to continue to start going. It, it seemed that, that this past season over the past couple of years had been an accelerant of what churches potentially could have gone to. So if they had any sin or any bad leadership, it seemed that as soon as this season started, it just was an acceleration of what maybe could have happened. It seems that churches that were running like over four or 500 are now running about 60 or 70. I've seen churches that are running 200 completely close in just a matter of weeks. There was a study that was shown that seven out of every 10 ministers in the United States seriously considered just throwing in the towel, just saying, this is too difficult, I cannot do it anymore. The normal statistic for ministers wanting to quit is about 2 out of 10 on a daily basis, but it accelerated so much to 7 out of 10. And we have seen, and I know that you guys have seen on the news, that we've had some moral failures within the church as well, not necessarily in Lexington, but just as a church as a whole. It seems like instead of the community coming together when we were supposed to in tough times, when we're supposed to lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems that we've gone further and further apart, and it seems that we're pointing the fingers, trying to figure out who's at fault for the heartache that's going on. As I was studying in December, I was planning out, me and Drew were planning out this, this whole year's sermon calendar of what different sermons, what different topics, what different scripture we're going to go through as a church body. And I remember sitting in my office uh, between Christmas and New Year's, and I was kind of praying over this. My wife uh, went to work, and my kids went to grand, uh, grandparents. So it was just me in the house, and I was just praying, God, what do you want me to preach about at the beginning of the year? What do you want me to preach about after that? And we had a bunch of ideas, but I was really trying to figure out what are we going to talk about at the beginning of the year. And I was, I was praying, and I was, I was looking at uh, photos of my kids of just what happened over the past year. And I wanted to, to make sure that when my kid hits 22 years old, he's out of college, I pray that he's still involved in church. I pray that he's a leader in his church. I want to make sure that his church involves faith over everything. If I had an open letter to write to my kid, I, I, I would go through 1 Timothy and I would say, please, through everything, make sure that you believe in faith over any type of religion that's out there. If you want to follow along with the sermon today, uh, we have the QR code, which we talked about before. If you have the Bible app, you can go under the events page on there and Elevate Christian Church uh, the sermon outline will be there as well. If you don't have a phone or you don't want to get out your phone, that's fine. The text and everything will be on the screen as well. So when I, right before I started in ministry, 
Um, I was still down in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was trying to figure out where God was going to uh, have Kaylee and I start ministry. And I had been a part of this group for about three years. And uh, I don't recommend you just picking up this book and reading it, but it was a commentary. We went through three years of just reading a commentary on the book of Romans. And it was written by a guy named Karl Barth. Uh, he's, a, uh, he's a German theologian um, during World War II, an incredible high-thinking individual. If you don't like reading that stuff, it will bore you to death if you just read straight through it. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose what I had learned through college. So I went to my friend who, they were all in doctorate level studies. They're like, yeah, we found this doctorate level book that somebody recommended. We're just going to read through it. And I was like, sure, I'll join. Uh, I have no idea why they allowed me to join. I thought of myself as a high thinking individual. I love thinking highly about doctrine, about faith, about theology. But I quickly realized that if you don't know historical background of the person that you're reading, none of it will make sense to you. And I remember sitting in there, and they're just reading this commentary, and I am completely lost. You know, like when you're, when you're in college or you're in high school, and they're talking about something that you should know about, like maybe you should have read the, the script before you got to class, and everyone's like, yeah, that's, that, I remember reading that, and you're like just smiling, like, oh yeah, I know what you guys are talking about. I had no idea what they were talking about. But they mentioned something really specific that kind of blew my mind. And Karl Barth was a theologian during World War II in Germany. And they said, what does freedom in Christ look like if you physically aren't free? And then just like skipped over that and just continued to talk and talk and talk. And I remember them asking me a question and I was just like, I'm still on question number one. Like I never thought about somebody not being free, but also being freedom in Christ. How are you supposed to act? How are you supposed to engage with the community? What are you supposed to do? And I remember going through all these things. And we talked about freedom in Christ over and over again. And the reason we have freedom in Christ is because of grace and not anything to do with earthly laws or anything to do with like that. So on our way back from this study of talking about freedom in Christ I was with one of my friends uh, who we went to Sonic to get a slushie just to talk about what we ha had talked about. And I pretty much just asked him to do this because I was completely lost. And I'm like, you need to dumb this down to Rob language so that I know what the heck this guy's talking about. And through our conversation, we, we reached a point on this two-lane road going to college where there is a stop sign. And it is pitch black. And normally, you just stop at the stop sign, and you look to your left and right, and you make sure that there's no big flashing lights coming in either direction so you can take a left. So he get, he, he, we're approaching the stop sign, and he's not slowing down. And I'm like, hey, man, you need to slow down. You need to slow down. And he yells, freedom in Christ! And he runs right through the stop sign, and I'm freaking out. I punch him in the shoulder. And he's like swerving all over the road. And I'm like, freedom in Christ doesn't allow us to make sure we're not dead. Hey, man, you need to chill out. He's like, man, earthly laws have nothing to do with my freedom in Christ. I'm like, I know the freedom in Christ and earthly laws, but earthly laws prevent me from dying. Please don't do that. I think we took, or he took, I'm not taking credit for this. I think he took his deconstruction of his faith 
I think he took his deconstruction of the things that he's learned over, over time, and he took it way too serious. 1 Timothy is one of those letters that was written to one person for encouragement. Paul was a traveling missionary who was very passionate about spreading Jesus to all of the Gentiles, people who, didn't, who were not Jewish, people who weren't born into the Jewish culture. And during that time, he met up with a very young kid named Timothy who had a passion to preach in a local church. So he sent him off and dropped him off at a local church, and Paul wrote this letter to encourage him in his ministry. It almost seems like it's a, written like a dad explaining and encouraging his younger kid, his firstborn. When you're reading the scripture, it's almost like Timothy, through this entire thing, is saying faith over everything. Paul is saying to Timothy, faith over everything. And Timothy's like, well, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you say faith over everything to people that were just Jewish a second ago? How and what does this look like in our local church to say faith over everything? Our legacy as humans, our legacy as a church, has to start with us. Sure, we can look at the past and we can see what people had done in previous churches and previous church plants, and we can look 200, we can go back to the start of our a Christian church back in the 1800s, and we can see what did they do. But in reality, if we want to pass down our faith and we want to pass down our values to the next generation of church, it starts with us. It does not start with the people that have previously come before us. If we want to make sure that our kids, if we want to make sure that our next church still has the faith in Jesus Christ that we have, we need to understand that it starts with us. So K- Timothy is at a new church, just like us. And in a new faith, and he's, they're trying to just figure it out. What does like, life look like post-Jesus? How do Jewish people and non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, come together in worship? Or should they come together in worship? When the church starts to run into problems, they have different ideas and different backgrounds How do we come together and worship Jesus? In turn, how do we as Christians, when we start something new, how should we tell our kids about this time? What should we pass down to our kids in our letters to them as they fulfill the next generation of Christian leaders, brothers and sisters in Christ? In 1 Timothy 1, I think he answers, and he starts with verse 3. It says this, As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine and any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of his command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless, meaningless, yes, talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they confidently confirm. 
under the church, they were running into problems because this was the first time in history that Jewish and Gentiles were going to come together under the common ground of faith. Paul urges Timothy to speak against false doctrine. Doctrine, let me explain doctrine real quick. Doctrine is beliefs about the church. This is commonly misinterpreted with theology, which we talk often, which is theology is beliefs about God. So this is a little different. It's not beliefs about God. It's beliefs about how we should do church. And they were coming in completely different perspectives and coming together and trying to figure out how are we supposed to live this. And Timothy makes sure how do we know if someone is teaching false doctrine. And, and Paul explains this. It will lead to myths about our faith. It will lead or lead back to completely false teachings, completely false stories about people telling Jesus, trying to make sure that their purpose moves forward. I remember growing up in the church, and I would hear about churches teaching false doctrine. I would hear about churches teaching poor theology. And I'm like, how in the world can they get this wrong? They got a book right in front of them. Can't they just read it for themselves and just explain what the story says? But what I've realized over time is that people don't actually read the stories for themselves. People don't actually read the letters that Paul wrote to his people for themselves. What they're doing is they're going to a church and they're listening to somebody to stand up and speak uh, about the scriptures and they're just passing that information on and they're not truly diving into the word and, and, and making it a part of who they are. That is how false doctrine starts. False information is something that we all know about. False information has been spewed out amongst us from the very beginning when we were born. False information has been spewed out over the past couple years, and we've seen our brothers and sisters in Christ just rip each other apart over something they might have heard or a story that they might have heard from somebody else or my sister from my brother's side might have said this, so maybe we need to make sure that we pass on this information. I never really looked it up for myself, but I'm just going to share the information because I believe and I trust this person. Therefore, I'm just going to give this information. Though false information at the time is shared to help somebody, which is really nice, false information and misinterpretation of Scripture over the long haul will hurt people because what they're doing is they're putting their faith and trust into something that is not real. Most of the time when we share false doctrine, we share false theology about God, people take to heart what we are saying, and whenever they're in their deepest, darkest moments, they hold truth to this false doctrine, and they're expecting something that's never going to happen. And in the long run, that hurts that will hurt them so, so much. People stand up in front of so many people and claim, this is from God. You need to do this. But I want to share something with you. If, you've ever received, if you have ever received pain, suffering, or abuse in any kind from another human, I promise you that is not from God. If somebody says you need to do this to somebody else and because this is what the Bible says and it causes actual pain to somebody else, that is not from God. 
That is not what Scripture says. False information in the long run will hurt people so, so bad. And that's why Paul is like, we need to just cut out false doctrine. We need to read the Scriptures for ourselves, and we need to pass on this information to our kids. When I was like eight or th- Eight, between 8 and 13 years old. I can't really remember the exact uh, age I was when this happened. But there is a, a new popular thing that started going around, and it was something called the X Games. The X Games was started in the mid-90s, and it was this new revelation of a different kind of sport that all of my friends, including me, really got into. We wanted to go higher, faster, and do all the tricks that people like Tony Hawk were doing on TV. And Walmart had this great idea to create this little box, this little plastic box called the 1080. And it was this little bitty ramp that you could go off of. It was a 90 or a 45 degree ramp. You didn't really get that much air. But as a young kid, I was like, this is awesome. This is my chance to act like the people that are on TV. And we would go after the, off those things and we quickly realized that this is not very difficult. This is actually not very fun. In fact, this, this piece of plastic is very dangerous, and if you leave it out in the sun too long and you try to go over that ramp, it will just break right underneath you and you will fly forward. So we learned from that. We kept them in our garages, and we had this great idea. My friend actually had this great idea that what happens if we stack two of these ramps together and go off of it? And I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. And my friend's like, yeah, I did it the other day. It's not too bad, but it does make you go a little higher. So, Rob, why don't you go ahead and try it? I'm like, perfect, stack them together. So I get on my bike. For some reason, I decided to get on my bike that time. And what I did not realize is when you add two 45-degree angles together and you hit the front of that ramp, it kind of squishes them together and makes it more than a 45, 90-degree angle. So I hit the ramp, and I flew straight up in the air, did a backflip. My bike flew behind me, and I landed, thank goodness, on the grass right on my back. And you guys know, right when you land on your back from a high, the air just completely depleted from my lungs, and I sound like I haven't breathed in 10 years coming out of that. And as I'm feeling this pain and I'm trying to catch my breath, I look to the left at this ramp, and there's a sticker that in big, bold, black letters say, do not stack ramps together and go off of them. I remember looking at my friend, I'm like, you idiot. You almost killed me. Why did you allow me to do this? You never went off this ramp. And from that point on, I never listened to a thing he said ever again. I was going to make sure that I was never going to get hurt because of him ever again. I assumed something that he said was true and ended up hurting me in the long run. I never ever went off a ramp again with my bike because I just expected I was going to do a backflip and hurt myself again. I'd like to confess something to you guys. There's been a lot of talk around religion recently, and you guys might have seen this. If you guys have any friends that might have maybe used to go to church and and you're trying to convince them to come back to church, A lot of our Gen X and millennial people are looking at the organization of religion and they they clump all of our churches together and they're trying to deconstruct their faith. And I remember the first time I heard this, it like really hurt me and I hated it. 
I would watch things on YouTube and, and see things on, on social media of people just deconstructing their faith, asking all of these questions about why do we do this? Why do we do this? Is this even real? Do we really need to do this in our churches? And it really hurt me at first because I've given my life to this. I was planning on planting a church. And right when I planted a church, it even, even hurt me even more. But what I didn't realize from listening to these conversations and talking to my friends that used to go to church is that there has been a lot of church hurt in our past. There's been a lot of people that have trusted people within the church and they ended up getting hurt many years ago. And because of that, they, end, they have decided to leave the church, and they, but they still believe in Jesus. And they say, how can, we create, how can we go to church and feel pain but still have Jesus? What does this look like for our generation? And what I realize is that there is people that have twisted Scripture to get what they wanted, to get their views and visions across to get what they want across, to, to raise enough money for them to get their platform to be bigger and better, to grow their churches to hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands so that they believe that they're doing good, but in reality, they're just doing it at the expense of everybody else. And when we look at our movement over the past 50 years span, and we've seen our movement through COVID, and it hasn't really done well, these misinterpretations of Scripture, honestly, this misinterpretation on how we should do church and making Sunday morning the most important thing that we do, looks more like spiritual abuse and poor guidance than guiding people towards Christ. Religion wants to install rules and regulations in your life. Faith wants to remove those in your life. The reason we cannot work we, the reason we cannot work our way into heaven is because the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Religion is completely exclusive. People say religion brings so much joy, but in reality, it's actually keeping people apart and keeping people out. Our faith is what brings us together of us in this church. It's not religion. Religion focuses on what disqualifies you from being part of the group. Faith focuses on what brings us together as a people. During that time, it says, they devoted themselves to the myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So what does genealogies have to do with our faith? We don't sit around and look at genealogies. We don't sit around and read genealogies very often. We don't look at the history of our churches and say, this church plant this church, which plant this church, and the minister, which, plant, which was the Timothy of this church, with one here. We just don't spend time doing that. But why, is, why was that put in this, this letter? It's because lineage and genealogies mean so much to Jewish people. Because Jewish people... It means everything because they are related to Abraham. And that's why this is in that. The Jewish people had a very hard time with this new following of Jesus because they were told their entire life that they were God's chosen people and they wanted to make sure that they stayed God's chosen people. 
There was God's chosen people and everyone else who was not God's chosen people, which were labeled the Gentiles. And they had a really hard time. They had a really hard time with believing in Jesus. And it's no longer about religion. It's no longer about laws. It's about faith, which brings people together. The laws say we need to be exclusive. But faith says we need to come together. Churches have a tendency to, to act like religious people. The longer churches go, the more ministers churches go through, the, the more they have a tendency to kind of guard what they started so many years ago. The problem is sometimes our actions don't reflect what we actually preach on this stage and what we preach to each other. People like to say that my church, people like to say in the church after a long time that this is my church. I tithe here. I should be able to have a say in what goes on on Sunday mornings. Well, according to the bylaws, we should not have to do this. Wait, you have a person on stage that has tattoos? What are you talking about? Wait, you have somebody that is of the different sex that's on this stage speaking? We can't have that. Wait, you are trying to reach that type of people group? I don't want that type of person at this church. And what I realize when I read this is Paul doesn't give a flying flip about any of that. He doesn't care if you're black, blue, green, yellow, purple. He doesn't care if you came from the other side of Lexington, if you're from Louisville, if you're from Michigan, if you're from Ohio. He doesn't care if you're from overseas. He doesn't care if you have black hair, brown hair, blue hair, if you dye your hair, if you have tattoos from head to floor. It doesn't matter where you came from or your background. It doesn't matter if your past sins. It doesn't matter where you came from. The only thing that matters is if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, and even he understood that it does not matter as long as we have faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says this, The goal of, of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We need to stop focusing on the laws. We need to stop focusing on what, what allows us to be a part of the faith and what doesn't allow us to be a part of the faith. And we need to focus on grace, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6 through 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you know my Father as well. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. In Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Paul's writing to Timothy encourages him to start a new trend where he is in this moment. We need to forget about our past experiences. We need to forget about all the laws, and we need to start something new today, which is we come together because of faith in Jesus Christ and because of the gift of grace that His Son, Jesus, gave us.
we at Elevate Christian Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, have the opportunity to take what Paul said 2,000 years ago and make sure it comes to light. That, our, that all of us, our past, our present, our past sin, our past decisions, our past relationships, our past where we came from, is not the reason that we are connected. What connects us is love. What connects us is faith in the grace that, that, that came from Jesus Christ, that God freely gives to us. That is why we come together. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. When I was writing this sermon and writing this, uh, this whole um, teaching for the next six months, I wanted to call it uh, a letter to our children. Uh, a letter to our children. And each part of this has a specific point that I would love for all of us to pass down to our next generation. I think my letter would start something like this. There will be a time in your walk with Christ where earthly visuals will be, cons- will, be, will be considered more important than the salvation that is found in faith alone. I recommend do not engage with these type of people and focus on heavenly things and sharing love that Jesus has shown us. Do not put your trust in the expectations of people who are older than you, but live a life that is worthy of our Father and not one that loves the world. Be an encourager of grace because it is through that we come together. And it is through grace we can find community with our brothers and sisters. If we want our Timothys the next generation, to understand that, it has to start with us. We cannot expect our parents or our grandparents to pass down the information any longer. If we want our church and our kids' church to be a place where people come together because of faith and not because of their past, then it has to start with us, and we have to get it right first. Dearly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this scripture. God, I want to thank you so much for making sure that the expectations of our life don't come from the law, but the expectations of our life come through faith in Jesus Christ, which is a free gift from you, and we don't have to do anything. God, I pray that Elevate Christian Church is a place where people can come, and it doesn't matter where they came from, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they've done in their past. It only matters that they love Jesus Christ and they have faith in your Son. God, I pray that we can make a huge impact in this community with your letters from Paul that were written 2,000 years ago. God, we love you, and we ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.